0: St. Paul, Minnesota, we are The days You Know. This is The days I Know. You want me to be that type of dude, and I want to be who you like me to. But we both know I can't do nothing at all. We're back for another week of Dave the No Podcast. Uh, we have the regular crew. MJ, say hey. Hello. MJ and I saw each other like four times this week. It was it was really
1: annoying. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it it was annoying because I, I didn't get to watch Everton with you, but that's okay. Yeah, that's fair. Um, uh, I watch Everton at home. One, so, so all of our teams
0: did, did good this weekend. So, and then yeah. now we, yeah. Hey Dan, how's it going?
1: It is
2: not too bad. Can't complain. I mean, I could, but I won't.
0: That's, that's it's fucking
2: twenty twenty. We can all complain about something.
0: <laughs> there's always there's always something, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. So uh, last week we dropped two. Uh, oh, sorry, dropped one Patreon podcast. Uh, I'll be dropping the Victory podcast this week. Um, we me and and Martin and Luke Craig recorded that last week, so that's gonna be going out. Um, later this week to all of our Patreon folks. That one's only going to be available on Patreon. So if you're interested in hearing our thoughts on the uh, cinema classic that is Escape to Victory, um, patreon.com slash the Davis I know. Uh, it is a fucking awesome movie. I'm just the spoiler, spoiler there. It was the first time that both Luke and Martin had seen that movie last week when they watched <laughs> it. And I told them I had watched it like three times in the last 24 hours. So um, Yeah. We had a we had a very we had a very robust discussion uh, about the movie and talked about who we would cast in it if we were if we were remaking Victory right now um, just like they are, you know, remade Space Jam who we would cast as the uh, all the soccer players and everything so it's quite fun it's quite fun so patreon slash days I know and help support the days that you know um, all right let's jump into this game we have two games to talk about we're not gonna break down in heavy detail the matches you if you're listening to this podcast you probably watched Minnesota soccer team play these two games and have formulated your own opinions so we have some thoughts on them um first up we bet uh fc dallas on uh, wednesday um this is a 3-2 minnesota united victory uh minnesota got goals from mason toy in the 11th minute and then two from molino uh, one in the 28th minute which was an amazing amazing goal um and then uh a penalty a penalty uh from the in the 70th minute molino was taken down um and scored the penalty Um, Dallas got two, Uh, Ricardo Pepe scored just before the halftime. 17-year-old Ricardo Pepe, I will add, uh, to make it two to one. Uh, And then in the 77th minute, um, Mosquera uh, made it 3-2 to Minnesota um, with a great play off of a corner. Um, I guess the biggest takeaway from this game that affected the game last night was Romain Metonier getting a red card, a a, a red card that he didn't need to to take. it was, it was absolutely piss poor. So that's kind of those are the, kind of the major points. Is there anything specific that you guys want to, to discuss about um, the Minnesota United FC Dallas game last Wednesday?
1: I, I just want to talk about a little bit about, about runs off the ball on, on that second goal. Uh, Toy is running middle between the two center backs and is pushing that back line back. Uh, twice in that run of play, Robin Lude, after passing the ball, makes two great runs that basically force uh Reggio Ziegler either further inside, which opened, opened the pass to Metinair, or further back, which opened up the pass back to Molino. And then, on top of that, Molino looks like he's being guarded by, very loosely, by uh, Bresson, but Molino does this clever thing where he changes from running straight at the net to cutting um, wide or closer to the ball, and so by the time Grayson t- turns, it, pivots his head, you know Molino's on a on a different running path, and and is easily beating Grayson to the ball to score that goal. And so, to me, those those three off the ball runs to open up all the passes for everybody else were was absolutely brilliant.
2: Yeah, and to me, that comes down to something we'll talk about a little bit on uh which is you make those runs when you think that you might get found like it's great decoy runs are great but everybody hates running them because you know you're not getting the ball and and i think we saw minnesota not making those runs earlier this year you put reynoso in there the guy who can find you on those cool runs and all of a sudden everybody's interested in doing just a little bit of extra work the thing that stood out to me in this game though was when we played dallas the first time Uh, On this very podcast, we talked about how mediocre the center backs for Dallas were, and how (laughs) if you really attacked into them, they were entirely vulnerable. And in that first game, Minnesota United didn't. Um, Horrible first half, that was that game. And in the second half, the, the two closest chances were from outside the box. In this game, Minnesota made a point of running at the center backs. And lo and behold, Ryan Hollingshead had a horrible, absolutely <laughs> terrible game. And Ziegler wasn't much better. So like.
1: And Brayson wasn't, Braison wasn't much better either.
2: Yeah. I mean, there, there's no yeah. combination of players that looked like it was going to work for Dallas. They, they looked like a boxer who knew that they had lost the fight and they just had to sit there and take the last few punches. So I think uh, it validates what we had been talking about and. uh yeah, Minnesota certainly made the most of of Dallas's weak link for once. I feel like so often we talk about, and basically every MLS team has some type of weak link, and it's just a question of whether the opposition can exploit it. And so, yeah, it's amazing to watch Minnesota United actually be able to do that.
0: Yeah, for sure, and we'll talk about Reynoso in a little bit here. Um, it's you know it is amazing how when you know or when you have. Confidence that you know when you're making those runs that you might get the ball you make those runs a hell of a lot better Um, so that's a, that's actually a really great point. And one thing I also sort of note too here Um a little bit to your point dan is um, they're, the minnesota is playing the ball on the ground a lot more They're not trying to whip crosses in um, they're not doing you know that That's when they're when minnesota united is doing that. They're not they're not playing well, um, you know, toys not as aggressive in the air um, and, you know, Minnesota just doesn't have, especially with a par out, doesn't have the pieces really to do that. So, and with a guy like Reynoso, you can do that, right? You can make those runs. You can play the ball on the ground um, for um, opportunities. So that's I think was, was displayed, put out really well on display here, especially for that Molino goal. That was a, uh, some great uh, passing and some great running. So, uh, all right, so very quickly, who do we have for our Freddie for for this match? um for minnesota dan you want to start
2: yeah so i took right now so um i think in this game he had two hockey assists uh so didn't get on the score sheet but was absolutely integral in both of the goals uh and my bad was met um who really actually didn't play terribly in this game uh but the red card was just it was so unnecessary and i honestly think it was soft um which we don't have to go into because ultimately it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's light red or dark red; it's a red card, <laughs> uh, and it's just so stupid. He, it, the game was pretty much in hand at that point. Uh, who did he hit, Mascara? Uh,
0: Ricarte, Ricarte.
2: Ricarte. Ricarte wasn't yeah. going anywhere. This wasn't no. uh, Like it was just it was such a waste of a foul. It would have been a waste of a yellow card if it had been yellow. and just a phenomenally stupid red.
0: Yeah, I yeah, I had that. I had Metnir as my shitty friend to do as well. Specifically for that, he's also looked. He looked like he needed a day off, and maybe that. Maybe that's it too. It's like he just he knows he needs a day off. He knows he's not going to get one from Heath unless he like physically you know literally cannot play in the game. Um, he's looked very slow the last couple weeks. He he's had he's actually had some some relatively late challenges. Uh, you know, this is one of those things I think was just sort of a a. a something that was just going to be coming for him. And uh, yeah, he got the night off on, uh, on Sunday. So for my, uh, for my good friend, I I, Kevin Molino. um, That goal he scored was fantastic. Uh, The the run he created to create the penalty for, for himself in the, in the 70th minute was great. Um, You know, single-handedly, almost single-handedly won the game for us. Uh, I think he had a a really fantastic game. Uh, MJ, who do you got?
1: Well, first of all, let me say that I would have picked Reynoso number one as my next ready to do. And I would have picked Molino number two. Um, so I totally agree with you there. But because you guys went before me and someone has has to uh, have a hard-on for Lude, and that would be me. So uh, Lude was involved in all three goals. He stole the ball off of Hollingshead, which was not Lude's credit, but Hollingshead's, you know, just goof up. But made a great pass to Toy. You know, on, on the first goal, uh, received, a, received a pass, passed to Puginoso, and did two great uh uh runs off the ball in the second goal and had a great two ball to met before he got fouled to uh create the penalty kick on, on the third goal so Ludes, my next video. to do uh my uh worst player of the game uh, goes to gasper uh like met he was caught forward and then really chased the ball when he was caught forward on bad angles like chasing things outside Um, running behind opponents rather than trying to get back in front running middle and try to get all the attacking players in front of you so you can see them coming at you like just taking really aggressive um, immature runs at the ball defensively
0: yeah I couldn't give it to this because Ludo almost contributed to uh, a Dallas goal with a a terrible terrible giveaway in the in the middle of the park (laughs) And um, he dropped a, he he dropped a loot and uh, almost contributed to a Dallas goal. So, um, but yeah, he he. Other than that, he played fairly well. All right, why don't you go first on uh, Dallas then, MJ?
1: Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take uh, Brazan as as my uh, next for to do. As we talked about, their center backs aren't good, and when they play three in the back, you know, brason is just the better of the three. Um, he's the best of of you know those three. Hollingshead and and Ziegler were, were atrocious so uh, so Brayson had had some nice attacks with the ball he got an assist um off on the header for Dallas's second goal and in general I, th- I thought he played pretty well especially when when Dallas had the ball uh, my worst for do goes to uh I, I hate to do it to a young FC Dallas uh academy guy but uh, Brandon uh, Cervania just looked lost out there. Um, he was definitely not marking anybody on a lot of loom goals. Uh, as a center midfielder, you kind of have to help that back line out. And he, he just looked out of place. All right. Dan?
2: So for my uh, my good ready to do, I'm going to say Franco Yara. Um, in both games that uh, United played against Dallas Yara was just consistently crashing the net um, a trait we we more closely associate with hockey players than we do with soccer players but because Dallas was doing a little bit the United thing of just crossing the ball in consistently having a striker who just time and time again is running at the net good things are going to happen um, he doesn't get credit for the second goal uh, it goes falls to mascara but he was right there he would have put it in if mascara hadn't um, so no matter, no matter what the game situation was, he was consistently doing the grunt work to try to get Dallas a goal. And I think that's admirable. Uh, didn't get a goal in this game, but uh, absolutely looks good and su- looks super energetic. Uh, my shitty Freddy do, as Ryan Holling said, uh, he has a terrible giveaway on, uh, to to lewd for Toy's goal. He gives up the penalty on Molino's penalty. Uh, just... And, and looked out of sorts all night, even when he wasn't making the catastrophically bad plays, he never looked like he was going to keystone Dallas's defense into doing something good.
0: Yeah. Um, can't argue with you there. Um, I had Ricardo Pepe just uh, mostly, uh, or sorry, I had Michael Barrios. Apologies. Who uh, who played in the past to uh, Pepe um, for, uh, for the first goal. And then in terms of the shitty Fred Eaters, I had, uh, uh, Kyle Zobeck, I, think Kyle, I always forget it, I can't forget his first name, Kyle Zobeck, yeah, the goalkeeper, uh, not, you know, uh, not really his fault, uh, Jimmy Maurer um, did not play, did not uh, travel up with FC Dallas, he's their, basically was their third string keeper at the start of the year, um, but that first Mason Toy goal, he just got, he, he went right between his legs, and as a goalkeeper, um, especially with plenty of time, uh, putting a ball, letting a ball go through your legs is not, uh, Is not, it's not good, so, he, uh, he gets the fr- shitty freddy ado. so uh, So that was Dallas uh, on Wednesday. Uh, we, then we traveled down to Kansas City, or uh, sporting COVID, uh, on Sunday night, yesterday. Uh, Minnesota, uh, obviously, without a lot of players um, due to injury, as well as the Metonier suspension, uh, played in a 3 Sporting Kansas City, also out with a lot of players uh, because of COVID. Uh, there was a COVID, COVID uh, a Kansas City player tested positive for COVID, and then based on contact tracing, about four of their other starters. Um, so it was – we forgot to mention, too, in the FC Dallas game. That, that was a – it was a heavily heavily rotated FC Dallas side. Lots of young kids, lots of homegrowns. And it, Dallas, there's lots of homegrown talent in their starting lineups pretty much at any time. But they had a lot of players in there. Um, and then this was a sporting Kansas City lineup that was heavily, heavily rotated uh, due to COVID. They had brought up a, I believe their um, – well, I know for sure that their Swope Park Rangers, the – their, uh, USL affiliate had their game, uh, post or canceled yesterday or sorry, Saturday. I think that was because they needed to bring players up, uh, to play, um, to fill out the roster against Minnesota yesterday. So very heavily rotated side. We played a three, five, two, and I, just, for the first half, I literally have no other notes because there was fucking nothing <laughs> in the first half, uh, other than Minnesota being outshot 15 to one by Sporting Kansas City in the first half, um, which I thought was a fun fact. Halftime, we saw uh, three subs for Minnesota. Gasper came on for AHA, Molino for Edwards, uh, Lude for Musa. Uh, Debassi went right, and that looked a lot more like a 4-3-3 going forward. Um, a couple more subs. Minnesota made five subs in this match. Uh, Reynoso finally came on for Toy in the 67th minute. And then the 76th minute, uh, Chacon, uh, Thomas Chacon, who had been uh, notably uh, announced that he was going to be – I don't think it was announced, but it had been leaked that he was going to be going back to Uruguay. Uh, on loan for the rest of the year, was subbed on for Ja'Cory Hayes, which is, I thought was uh, quite surprising. Uh, four minutes later, Johnny Russell uh, scores a goal. Um, Graham Zussi plays a pass. Uh, Minnesota gets caught up, upfield. Uh, their defense, uh, Chase Gasper, plays Johnny Russell on um, accidentally. one nothing for Kansas City. That was their 21st shot on goal. Um, and that's how the game ended, 1-0. It was a, it was a, it was a very regretful game. Um, I regret having to watch it. Um, I'm glad I was uh, still drinking uh, for this match because uh, it was, uh, it was a lot. It was a lot. So would you guys have any other uh, sort of quick thoughts on sporting Kansas city uh, before we jump into some other, some other news and notes?
2: The two things that stood out to me in this game uh, were, there were twice that Minnesota actually got any type of attack. Uh, one was off of a Kansas city turnover uh, which was Kevin Molino and a a one-on-three, which didn't go anywhere. And the other was one long ball that Mason Toy was able to run down, which was also a one-on-three and didn't go anywhere. So I, I understand that, I mean, this game was from the very get-go. Heath was playing for a draw, um, heavily rotated side. I, I don't know what the right tactics were for this game. I don't think the diamond was it. Um, and what was most interesting to me about that is they played the same heavily rotated quasi-diamond with players who don't really play those positions that rsl played when minnesota just ran them off the map and so i'm very curious what Heath took from that game uh that was hey i think i think that this, this is tactically correct and personnel wrong but we have the personnel to make this work so that's the thing that stood out most to me is I appreciate from Heath's standpoint that he didn't just try to stick with the same game plan because the personnel just didn't fit it. But you saw what can happen to this formation if you don't have the right guys in the right spots. What on earth did you think was going to go different than, than what we saw when Reynoso basically one man armyed RSL back to the, the mountain time zone?
1: Yeah. Uh, MJ. The, just, Exactly what Dan said. Uh, Having Marlon Harrison, who is a right wing that can play right back, but I mean he's a right wing, and you know having him to play right wing back, uh, you know in a three-five-two, his first minutes for the Loons just seems like you're setting him up for failure. And yeah, he was the one who played uh, Johnny Russell, you know, onside, but that wasn't just you know Marlon Harrison's fault. the, you know he had there were two attackers on, on on that uh our right their left side i can't remember if it was Jerso and Kinda or Jerso and Shelton um one of them was was off but they were con- deemed uh uh not involved in the play which is always a, a call i hate but because you're you're attracting defensive uh attention whether you know you're involved in the play or not so i just yeah. thought people would get rid of that rule but but yeah, I, I just, with, again, trying to mix it up, I like trying to mix it up, like Dan said, and shoehorning players into places where they don't naturally fit, it, you're just setting up your your, your players for, for failure. And, uh, you know, I thought, um, Ja'Cory Jeho- Hayes and Dotson had moments of brilliance and, and, and looked good, but for the most part, uh, we looked really disorganized. We did, and that
0: and that's interesting too, because presumably, presumably, this was Heath's plan uh, for this match after what happened against FC Dallas, right? With um, with Molino getting the red card, not being able to play. Presumably, Heath was like, "Okay, we're going to be doing a 3 5 So that's probably what they. Pr- I mean, I would I would assume, I would hope that that's what they practice for the last couple of you know last couple of days that you know, before, before the match, before they traveled down to Kansas City. And presumably you would think that this was, that he had sort of had told um, Molino and, uh, you know, Lude and Reynoso and Gasper that they were going to, you know, that they were not going to start, they were going to, you know, at most maybe play, you know, 20 minutes expecting that, you know, that they would, uh, that this group of players could hold uh, Sporting Kansas City. And to their credit, they actually... I mean, they got they got throttled uh, in terms of um, possession and in terms of shots on goal, um, but they they bent but didn't really break all that all that much, honestly. And then you know, does I wonder if he saw that after he saw the Sporting Kansas City's lineup, he did have the balls just, like change his lineup up and say, you know what, fuck it, let's go out and let's go out and score three or four goals. Then I can take these guys off at half, you know, halftime or or you know at 60 minutes, as opposed to um, he was stuck. I think, and who I don't, we'll never know. I mean, unless he unless he comes out and says yes, this is the plan. Um, what happened with Sporting Kansas City didn't change the plan. I was going to do the plan regardless, and yada yada yada. He didn't say that. Um, so I, again, I'm just that leads me to believe that this was his his plan from the get go. Realized that maybe hey, they could steal a game here, could steal three points down in Kansas City brought those guys on at halftime, um, totally, like, just, again, totally uh, bailing on what was, you know, again, it was it was not pretty to, to watch. It was not anything fun to look at. And Minnesota never looked like they were, you know, going to score a goal in that 3-5-2. But then he, you know, he realizes that, hey, shit, maybe we can win this game. We can steal three points and brings all those guys on uh, at halftime, changes up this formation. So, I, I don't know. is this I guess the question is, is this a, I guess I don't, even know, I don't even know what the question is other than I think, like, do we think that this was Heath's plan, the 3 2 he realized, oh shit, we could actually win this game, but we need—we don't have anybody on the field who can actually score, can put the ball in the back of the net and bring those guys on at halftime or or some, is it something different? Is it something I'm not even thinking of?
1: I'm going to take a, a heat positive take here and say that he saw how Houston scored on Sporting Kansas City on the counter and said, you know what, let's rest a bunch of people and go back to the pre-Reynoso way of doing things, of just trying to bunker up the D and catch them too far forward and, and, and hit them out. And maybe Toy puts one in or, or Hassani Dotson is able to, to, to put one in the back of the net. Uh, on the counter I would like to think that's what he he was trying but it the the results are are just shitty so you know if that's what he was trying it didn't work he waited till halftime to make to make the subs and I don't know if the I don't I just I don't disagree with the subs that he made at at half but again the organization-wise formation-wise we still looked lost and like, what are we doing out here?
2: Yeah, I think my issue is that, okay, first half was what it was. It was terrible to watch, but it was nominally effective. Um, Second half, it just didn't look like there was a plan. Like, and this is something we come back to time and time again, organizationally, Heath in game, whatever. Like the subs that he made – were clearly attacking-minded. So, David, I think you're right in the sense that he, he saw three points out there to get and went after it. But it's like he just put on the attacking players and, and kind of assumed that they would do what they always do. I don't, I don't know. I just, like, you watch the first part of that second half, and all of a sudden Minnesota brings all of this attacking talent on. They probably have the most talented players on the field at that point. But nothing changes. Kansas City is still absolutely shooting on sight. There's no real cohesion. There's no midfield. This game was not played in the midfield by any stretch of the imagination. But Minnesota still can't get bodies into the attack. It's really not until Reynoso comes on that there's any sense of, like, Offensive cohesion, but even that comes after the Johnny Russell goal. And we've seen this before numerous times with this team, that it's not until they give up a goal that they really wake up. Last 10 minutes, Loons have some urgency about them. Um, I'm annoyed with how little stoppage time there was. Kansas City clearly sat on the ball a little bit. Uh, All of that's annoying, but Minnesota deserved to lose this game, so it's not like I lost any sleep over it. But I just the game this most reminds me of is the Sporting Kansas City game last year when minnesota needed to rotate the squad because of the u.s open cup run and just the generally crammed fixture list but it wasn't even that they rotated the squad and then played with those players it looked like they had a set of players they had a strategy and there was never any sense of like okay do these two things actually mix and once again, that game was very similar in the sense that uh, Kansas City scored late, if I recall correctly. United had bunkered pretty effectively all game. Um, hey, Chacon came on in both of those games late as well. So <laughs> just just lots of parallels, lot parallels left and right. Yeah. maybe Inti, Maybe Inchi just straight up hates playing in Kansas City, and honestly, I wouldn't blame him. But like oh, yeah. that's that's my big issue with this game is like I don't know. Let's say let's keep the formation the same. Let's keep the players the same in the first half and the, even the subs, the same, how was Minnesota United supposed to win that game? What is the thing that they didn't do on the field that they should have done? Because what we saw was a team that was disjointed, that had no plan and got punched in the mouth once. And that's all it took. Yeah. And, and, and so that's like, that's my big question. And, and to me, this comes down to basically if you take all of those things as fixed and, and treat the player performance as the only variable, it really isolates your tactics, right? You know, is it even remotely possible to win given these set of parameters? And honestly, I don't think it is.
0: Yeah, I don't, uh, I, I, I tend to agree with you. One, the one thing that they need to do in order to win a game like that is actually put a fucking ball on target. And there was zero, zero shots on target, um, which is particularly bad. Uh, especially considering all the attacking talents they had out there for at least 45 minutes of that game. So, um, yeah. All right. Unless you guys have anything else to say, let's go. Let's give out our Freddy our Dudes for this one. Uh, MJ, do you want to start for Minnesota? Uh,
1: sure. My Freddy uh for best player of the game is, is AHA. Uh, we'll get to. Debassi's debut and and he I thought he played great as well but I thought both from heading the ball out for clearances on a lot of Sporting Kansas attacks and then a couple you know with his feet kind of takeaways and and goal line uh, blocks and things like that I thought Aha played really really well uh, my shittiest uh, Freddie Adu for Minnesota is the three five two formation because. Uh, Heath keeps trying to play a 5-3-2 or 3-5-2 with three center backs and I always feel like that doesn't put our best players on the field and it's kind of a cop-out and we really don't know how to play it and obviously some of that's on the players of not adapting or not knowing how to play it but some of that's on Heath on you know tactic-wise how does this formation work and Can we simplify it to to make it functional? But we've never played one well. Yeah. Uh, Dan. So I
2: I stole the one really good Minnesota United player from this game, and it was Dane St. Clair. Uh, Kansas City just absolutely peppered him, and they peppered him with shots outside the box, trying to cram the ball in at the near post, crosses across the post. uh, And he played really well. He really dealt with him exceedingly well. We're now starting to see enough of Dane St. Clair to be able to say, okay, he's not a finished product, but he also doesn't need to be at this moment. Um, here are the things that he does really well, and here's the things you need to work on. The thing that stands out to me about Dane St. Clair is how good his lateral movement is. He is always facing the ball. He is always facing the shooter. It doesn't always leave him in the best position to react to it, but he's never getting caught by surprise with the ball movement. Um, and, and to me, that's going to hold him in really good stead, particularly as he gets a chance to work with the coaching a little bit. Uh, one of the things I think that, that we've seen from Bobby Shuttleworth, Vita Menone, uh Tyler Miller, to a lesser extent, but I think we may have a hip injury to blame for that, uh, is the, the ability to plant and dive. And we haven't really seen that from Dane yet, but it leads me to believe that that's something the coaching staff is pretty adept at cultivating within a keeper. So he played really well in this game. He had absolutely no chance on the Johnny Russell goal. So you can't really hold that against him and he stopped everything else. So that's a, that's a really, really effective night for him. Uh,
0: yeah. Especially because he hadn't really been, he, had, I mean, he had two shutouts, uh, or sorry, two wins, but he hadn't really been tested all that much in those first two games. So kind of, We weren't you know hundred percent sure what he was going to do with, facing a bunch of MLS shots, so I think that's a, a really good point.
2: He really did look like a keeper that could win you a game. And I mean, yeah. for 79 minutes, he he did, and it's not really his fault that there was absolutely no offensive cohesion. Yeah. Uh, my shitty Freddy, too, is, is a cop-out. It's, it's everyone else. Um, yeah. If I had to pick one player, um, Marlon Harrison just looked lost. He, he didn't look like... He, he looked like he knew where to position his body, and I think he blocked a couple of shots out on the wing. He made it generally hard for Kansas City, sort of, in that he was a live body out there. But every time he got the ball and looked to move it into the attack, it looked like he had no idea whether he should be dribbling or passing and just kind of had a rotten night all the way around. So everybody played poorly. Uh, I think he was probably the poorest of the bunch.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Um, I, I mean, I'll, I'll say, I'll say Devassi. I think Debossi had a – for a first match, a really, you know, first start, uh, a really stellar, really stellar uh, start. He looked comfortable out there. Um, he had that one amazing, amazing clearance. And I, I was about the um, 70th minute or something like that. Um, there's sort of hands. He was peppering, peppering the goal. Dane St. Clair was just a little bit out of position. He, he cleared it off the, uh, off the line. He had another clearance as well. I, I just, I think, you know, if, if he is the, you know, if he will be the Ike replacement for the rest of the year, um, I, I, you know, we could have done a hell of a lot worse for, for, uh, the um, in terms of who was good, who, you know, who is, uh, who is shitty. I mean, yeah, I, I, everyone, everyone really did not play well. Um, I'm going to give it, I'll, I'll say, I'll give it to Heath just for the tactical, just the, the basically what Dan said. He just did the exact same thing as he did the last time we played down the 20 Kansas City, um, towards the end of the year last year, he just, Ran the same fucking playbook over again, and we got the same result. So uh, good for good for Adrian Heath. So uh, all right, let's jump over to Sporting Kansas City. Um, they had uh, some significantly better players on the on the night. Uh, Dan, who do you got for uh, Sporting?
2: I want to jump back really quick to unite something both you and MJ said. So MJ pointed out Heath loves a three-five-two when he can't get his preferred formation on the field but we haven't ever had the players to run it really effectively. Your, your good friend of you do is DeBossi. DeBossi may legitimately be the first 3-5-2 player we've ever had. Yeah, that's a good point. He's literally a capable defender. He has shown that both in this game and, and a little bit he played in, uh, against Dallas. But then he's also pretty adept at going forward. So yeah. we think the 3-5-2 is going to be something we see more of or at least see in some rotation. I think we're going to be really, really glad that DeBossi's here. Because he's yeah. the type of player that we need to play that
0: effectively. 100%. 100%. Good, good point.
2: Um, all yeah. right. So, so on to the better team of the night. Uh, uh, my good friend you do uh, is Graham Zussi. Uh We've pointed out, and we're certainly not the only ones, Graham Zussi is not the player that he used to be. He is not nearly as mobile. Uh, he is not nearly the defender he once was. Uh, he played really well in defense in this game, shutting down the paltry attacks that Minnesota did have. And the ball he put into Johnny Russell was on a fucking dime. You couldn't yeah. set that ball better with your hands, and he did it while getting fouled pretty severely by, I believe, Reynoso was the one who cleared him out. Uh, and that's just okay. Maybe Zusi San Zusi isn't at the height of his powers anymore. He can still play the damn play, play the damn ball. Yeah. Uh, my shitty Freddy you do. Uh, a little bit of a moot point, but Hernandez and Duke, the two outside midfielders in Kansas City's 4-3-3, just super mediocre. They didn't add much to the attack. They didn't recycle the ball all that effectively. They also didn't have anything to do. I assume that, that their given role from Peter Vermees was, don't let anything in behind you, and they didn't do that because they didn't have to. So yeah. uh, Kansas, City, Kansas City, if I had to kind of describe their performance, they had 11 guys on the pitch who all did exactly what they were supposed to do. And it didn't work out until the very, very end, but that does make it really hard to point out, like, who didn't do what they were supposed to do. You just sort of look at the guys who uh, basically stood there and did nothing and went, yeah, well, you know, you didn't really have to either, so.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, MJ. So my pretty to do best player of the game goes to uh, Busio, who, as I mentioned earlier, academy uh sport against the academy player coming in for their rock star aging number six Ilya sanchez and they just need to find a way to get him on the pitch and i think the, either the last time we played them or the game before that sport against he tried putting busio in for, for sanchez and sanchez hasn't seen the pitch since um busio is just for a young kid, being a defensive midfielder, really understands a lot of the both defensive and and attacking roles that he needs to play there. So he's my best player. My worst uh play of the game. There were there were so many that I thought could get this for Sporting Kansas City, but we did not attack them. Even after we put in our our quote better players and switch formations to attack, we did not attack them efficient, efficiently. So. So my worst Freddie A.D. goes to Matt Beasler. Um There were times where we were attacking and he looked lost and, um, you know, a, a shell of his former self. So hate to pick on the guy. but
0: Oh, yeah, I'm sure you do. Um, fun fun fact, uh, guys. Every single starter but for Matt Beasler had a shot on goal. <laughs> had a shot uh, uh, last night. First morning, he had the city. Every single one except for Matt Beasler. And Cameron Duke did not get a shot on goal in his, or get a shot in his 36, 36 minutes of playing. So um, I think we nailed the the two shittiest players uh, on the pitch for Sporting Kansas. City, so I have nothing else to say about that. Uh, I'm gonna say Gerso, um, for my good friend you do. He was uh, all over the pitch. Uh, if you look at the, if you go to the, the match center, you can see, you can like look at the chalkboard thing and the to chalkboard and, um, you know, he was all over on the, on that left-hand side causing all kinds of trouble for Minnesota's defense, two, two key passes. Um, and I think he was just, uh, a force to be reckoned with for, for Minnesota. So, uh, Grisel Fernandez, uh, is it for me? So, all right, well, that wraps up, uh, our two games from last week. Um, we have a few questions that we sort of wanted to, to spend the bulk of the, of our conversation here talking about, um, and I guess, you know, we, I talked a little bit about, um, we talked a little bit about Debasi and, and, you know, he looked good that, 66 minute goal line clearance Dan mentioned about how he could really be a, a stalwart in a three five two. Um the the main question that Dan brought up uh on our tech our our text thread, um is Minnesota United a good team? And um Dan I'll, since you're this is your question, I'll let you I'll let you start. Is Minnesota yeah. United a good team?
2: So I think the answer is yes. They're just very confusing because it – I don't know that we've seen Minnesota United play. Okay. We have seen them play really well against RSL. And I think even in the Dallas game, I mean, I know it was only a one goal win, but they really did boss that game. We have seen them look absolutely horrendous. Both Kansas city games, although Kansas city certainly tried to make them look good in the first game. Uh, and they did not play well against Houston either. And they didn't play well in a, for a half against FC Dallas. It, it it's like we've never seen them be mediocre. So the times that they're good, they look unplayable. Like, yes, they've played heavily rotated squads in Kansas City and Dallas and RSL. So it's hard to make concrete judgments. But at the same time, like, they look good. And, and you, can't, you can't choose what your opposition players are, right? And at the end of the day, they're third in the West right now. Uh, they may slip as low as, if I can do some back of the envelope map, I think the lowest they can get is fifth. So they're a solid playoff team at this point in a, in a Western conference that is completely overly stacked. Minnesota United is third on 17 points currently. Uh, RSL is in the last playoff spot at 14 points. So they have no margin for error, but it's really hard to argue that this isn't a good team. It's just absolutely shocking to me that they can't consistently look either good or acceptable. They are either great or horrid, and I can't think of too many other really good teams that are truly that Jekyll and Hyde. LaFC, true.
0: LaFC this year, um, Atlanta, Atlanta this year as well. The similarities are are striking. That's it. so. That's that's a, that's a good point. I. They, this team frustrates me so much just because for periods of time, they will look outstanding, right? Um, that For the first, you know, basically the first like 60 minutes of that uh, Dallas game on Wednesday, they looked really good. Their attack was, was great. They were uh, opening up uh, passing lanes and they were just, just cutting through the, the Dallas defense. And then, then they sort of like shut off and almost allowed Dallas to come back and steal a point, um, on Wednesday, you know, that the Met red card is just, it's it's a a mental, that's a stupid mental red card, right? That's not, that's not anything, you know, that's not him getting stuck in or anything like that. Uh, and then, you know, we we come, we turn around and, um, you look at that again, I just like harken back. We, you look at that lineup for Kansas city. And to me, that's, that's, that says to me, we got, we have an opportunity to get three points here. We have an opportunity to uh, increase our, you know, go at the top of the table, um, increase our lead, uh, give us a little more breathing room. And then they just they just hit the bed. There's no fancy or, or, or good way to say it. They just absolutely, it looked like they didn't even want, really want to play. Outside maybe like the, the first 10 minutes of that match, where actually Minnesota looked relatively competent uh, against Sporting Kansas City, for the re- resulting, the rest of the 80 minutes left in the match, they just looked like a team who was just like going through the motions of being there, right? They looked like a team that was like, not, you know, that was had been eliminated from the playoffs. It was just like, was just seeing out the, seeing out the string, right? That is what is so frustrating with this team. We know this is the most, this is the most talent that Heath has ever had. Uh, I think as a, as a head coach in the, you know, ever. Um, he's got good players. Granted, some of them are hurt right now. And some of them are, you know, met near out with the red card, but he's never had also this much depth too. I mean, that's always been a big thing that Heath has always, you know, he keeps saying, you know, Needs more players. Needs more players. Well, we finally give them more players, and and this is what you know. This is the result that we get. That's that's just un, to me. That's just not acceptable. MJ, do you would you want to add anything or? Uh,
1: I go back to David asked a similar question and uh, last week or the week before, and I'll go back to my favorite word: inconsistent. Is this team good? Is this team bad? They're they're inconsistent. And some of that will be, that consistency will come as our new pieces play with each other and get better chemistry. But some of that consistency has to come also from the coaching staff and setting your players up for success, whether that's personnel decisions, who starts, who comes off the bench, what formation we're playing, what our plan for attack is, as Dan alluded earlier, isolating what their weaknesses is and how to attack it, that's on the coaching staff. And that's our, our ways to get a team that isn't used to playing with each other to get on the same page and have a plan of attack that's successful that makes them look like they have more chemistry than playing with each other and more experience playing with each other than they do. So to me, they're inconsistent, and that frustrates me. And it's a, it's a complicated situation, but I don't think the coaching staff is doing enough to help that that weakness, that inconsistency.
0: Yeah. So in this you sort of leads to um, you know a question, MJ, that you asked, um, and I, I kind of reframed yeah. it, right? Uh, the Clearly, Sporting Kansas City has you know has the the relationship with the Swope Park Rangers. They were able to bring up the town. Now you, it was it was obvious that uh, Peter Ramirez did not want to go to any of those players unless he absolutely had to. Sporting Kansas City only made one substitution on the on the night. Um, you know they were not going to go to those youth players unless they absolutely had to. But they had they had a little more little more depth. Uh, so my question kind of to you guys is what team like what teams does in MLS, does Minnesota have more depth then, right? We talk about, um, and that's maybe maybe not a, the right question to ask, but for sure, it seems like FC Cincinnati or whatever, you know.
1: <laughs> Inter-Miami?
0: <that's, laughs> Inter-Miami is a good one. Yes, I mean, leaving aside the expansion teams, uh, Nashville, the re- recent expansion teams, um, you know, but most MLS teams, the good ones, at least, the ones that are, you know, consistently contending for titles, um, there is there's clearly a drop off when it, when your starters aren't playing and that's just, but that's just like that's the same thing in in the EPL too right when when Mosala is not on the pitch the drop off from Mosala to Rigi is is massive right or a uh or uh you know Hames or something like the drop off from your starter to your backup player is going to be very dramatic um, but for once it looks like we we thought you know when we started um, when the season kicked off, we, 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 I think we, I don't know if it was you or, it was, it was somebody on, our, on this podcast said, this is the deepest Minnesota team, was that you, MJ? Yeah. This is the deepest Minnesota team that we've, that, we've ever, that we maybe have ever seen uh, in, as, you know, outside of maybe some of those thunder, those thunder runs um, back when they were winning the, uh, the A-League. Uh, so the question is, is like, where, like, what have, where has that depth gone? Or just that, or we've been so hit by injuries. Um, you know, we have we only have one striker on our on our roster right now that is fit and healthy.
1: I'm gonna kind of go about. I know this is my question, and my question was, are we are we a deep team, and you know, are we deeper than than Sporting Kansas City, and we're we're, we're clearly not. And especially if you bring in not just the depth of the senior squad, but you like complicate this with we don't have a usl affiliate we don't have an academy so we're going to lose once you get out of the senior roster we're going to lose on all the depth questions to most mls teams but within the senior roster i think we are deeper than than other mls teams um you you look at picking up edwards uh jacori hayes jose aha this this season and to a lesser extent, uh, M- James Musa, and, you know, Marlon Harrison. But we have pieces. And for a while, Dotson wasn't starting, so he was a bench player. We, we have good pieces on our, on our bench. But two things. I really, really dislike how little Heath rotates his preferred squad which means bench players aren't getting game time minutes and experience with other players on the squad in a, a more incremental frequency where, where he waits till everyone's tired and then tries to throw them in as a band-aid and they haven't, they haven't had experience playing with each other or with the other members of the starting lineup, you know, throughout the season and that really just frustrates me from a senior squad development standpoint.
0: It's it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So he 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 runs his starters into the ground, then we all complain that we're not seeing any of the of the bench players or we're not getting any rotation, and then he throws them all he he picks he, he throws them all out of the pitch, sacrifices them, right? And then he's like, "See, I did I did the rotation, and look what happened." Um, it, it so, it looks awful. You set them yeah, up. Yes, exactly. So, you know, it's, it's um, I don't know if he's doing, I don't believe that he's doing that on purpose, but it, I, honestly, I would not put it past him to be that, like, uh, that churlish and that, yeah, that petty, right? That, that he was just, you know, he's just going to completely ignore. And then, you know, we, we, we yell and scream, like, let's see Edwards uh, start. Let's see, you know, let's see Harrison. Let's see Hayes. Let's see those guys get an opportunity. Well, when you put them all out there together and you take off all of the attacking players, of course they're going to look like shit, right? Like that's, we're not fucking, he treats, I don't know. This goes back to more Adrian Heath hate and I, I will not try to linger on this too much, but I think he, I question if he actually hates the fans. Like I think he thinks we're all fucking rubes who don't understand soccer, don't understand soccer tactics and don't know how the soccer team should, should function. Because the way he talks to people, the way he talks down at at, 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 at folks is just – I think he, he thinks we're all fucking rude and, and that we don't know jack shit. That's, I'm not, get off the, I'll get off my soapbox. MJ, yeah, you had something. Uh,
1: to add a little nuance to that, I think, I think Heath is very stubborn. I think Heath is very set in his ways, and I think he has blind spots that when people have tried to point them out to him – He digs his heels in and and says, No, you don't know the game. I know the game or you don't know what you're talking about. And whether that's an assistant coach, whether that's a player, whether that's a member of media, whether that's a fan on Twitter, like something about him and taking criticism or Recognizing I have weaknesses. I have maybe blind spots where I don't see some of my errors or maybe not my errors, but the players errors or what have you, but he really feels Based on the interviews I've seen and his attitude is I know what's best for this team. And yeah, you do get this sense from his tone of voice that the rest of you are fucking morons.
2: Which is a problem in and of itself. Like it's it's a little out of the purview of, of a conversation on depth, but that's a thing that you can train somebody. It's called media training. And apparently the, the Minnesota just doesn't believe that Adrian.
1: go the PR camp. To-
2: well, or or worse they have tried and he failed yeah um, yeah you know i think yeah. sunday was a really good illustration of kind of the, the kinds of depth and and david as you were setting up the question you talked about the the drop off from pierre michael to literally anyone even alexander lacazette or mo salah to diva and there's Teams all over Europe that would love to have Divacarigi. But when you have these truly elite players, you can't replace them. And we're seeing it with LAFC right now, right? Like, when Vela is out, there's no there's no one who can step in there. And Diego Rossi, for all his talent, isn't the same type of player, and they're, they're trying to use him in the same way. So you can never replace elite talent. So, like, as good as Jose Aja has been, and I'll admit, I thought that was a, a total... Just depth signing, and I hope we never have to use him. And he's been fine. He's
1: mm-hmm. been
2: really, really solid. He's not Ike. He's not Ike Opara. He's not nearly as good offensively. Uh, he's not the defensive leader that Ike is. So you can never replace your really top-end talent, which means for truly elite teams, like if Minnesota United thinks that they're a supporter shield candidate or an MLS Cup candidate, You need that really top-end talent, and you need it to stay completely healthy. Joseph Martinez in Atlanta is another perfect opportunity, uh, another perfect example. Like, Atlanta looks horrible right now, which is hilariously funny. And a lot of it comes down to, they have really good players in a lot of positions. They couldn't replace Martinez, and they couldn't replace Nagby. And and everything else kind of stems off of that. Sunday, we saw the other problem with depth, which is that if you don't if you just throw bodies into holes, they're not going to look right. There, Marlon Harrison didn't look right. James Musa didn't look right. They couldn't progress the ball forward. Uh, Jan Gregorius has been consistently asked to take a more defensive role since Ozzie Alonso came out or w- went out injured. He doesn't look right in that position. So yes, moving from Ozzie to Jan, in theory, on like a pure talent level, shouldn't have been that big a, a step back for the team. But it was just because of familiarity – not familiarity, but just comfort with those positions. So depth is such a, such, a, such a weird animal because, paradoxically, if this team were super mediocre across the board, we would have great depth because it would be so easy to replace. If we if, – if we didn't even have Kevin Molino. If we had um, trying to think. Uh, crap. Who was the uh, Costa Rican – he went back – he plays for Saprissa – played Minnesota United in 2017, 2018. He was supposed to be really good.
1: Johan Venegas?
2: Thank you. Yeah, so like replacing Johan Venegas is super easy and it doesn't speak to any of your depth quality. It just means you had another mediocre to crap player that you could put in there. So I think Minnesota's like, to the extent that the depth looks wrong, it's one, you can't ever replace elite talent. Not in this league, not with a salary cap. And two, the places we have depth are the places we haven't necessarily needed it. So it I think there is good depth on this squad. It's just it hasn't been able to show through in quite the right way. So I don't know. Maybe I'm splitting too many hairs here. And I'm certainly willing to say that, you know, I'm being too kind and this really is a, a failure of the front office. But I don't know. It's your best players have to stay healthy in a salary cap league there's just no two ways about it if they don't produce you don't win and it's it is truly that simple yes mj
1: i you touched a little bit on this but i kind of want to go about it. the depth issue we have had Parad not be able to join us for mls's back and Ozzy put on the captain's armband which makes total sense, right? MLS experience, good clubhouse or locker room leader is in a defensive position to help organize both like he and Jan and and the back line. That's someone you want to have the captain's armband. We don't have depth at the captain's armband after Ike Parra and Ozzy Alonzo. Michael Boxall... Has done everything to deserve it, and he's the one who wears it. And he has played better this season. I, I know I've criticized him, but he's played better this season than I ever thought possible. Um, he is both uh, attack wise and, and defensive wise. But right now, all four of our defenders, not counting Debossi because I haven't seen him play enough, but Gasper, Aha, Boxall, Metnair all tend to get tunnel vision when they're defending an oncoming attack. And if you want someone to have the captain's armband, they need to see are, they, are there six players coming at the four of us? Are there just three? Can we double someone, you know, can we double team someone because they're only sending three? Um, who, where are the speed mismatches? And to assess all that, you have to see the whole pitch and Basel sometimes does, and he does lead and help communicate on the back line, but, when he's being attacked with someone with the ball, he gets really tunnel vision. He gets really shocked when he sees that pass go to his left and Gasper's not there. Um, He shouldn't be surprised at those situations. Uh, For him to take it to the next level, he needs to get better field vision. Or Minnesota needs to get a captain.
0: Fair enough. Uh, So speaking of depth and, and new players coming in, um, we clearly have uh, several needs on this team, um, and this this ties into uh, so the question basically is, you know, what is the biggest need uh, for Minnesota the next few weeks? The, um, the transfer window is open until some, late October, um, so there's plenty of time. But you definitely you think if you want to get they want to get someone in sooner rather than later to make sure that they get them enough time, you know, enough reps with the team, to get used to playing with the rest of the the rest of the team. So what is Minnesota's biggest needs coming in the next couple weeks? This is tied also to uh, Chacon. uh, is going back on loan to Danubio, um, the uh, squad that he came from. Uh, This was not announced by the team officially yet uh, that I know of. Um, It's just sort of been speculated. Uh, The folks at the Minnesota football uh, show, um, the Minnesota football podcast, yeah, podcast, uh, they sort of were the first ones to announce it. Um, and then so, so has been picked up by Reuter and by, um, some other reporters as well. They asked Heath about it after the match last night. So, so we are losing Chacon, uh, presumably for the rest of the year, going out on back on loan to his squad. We don't have, we have one striker and Mason toy on the roster who is healthy right now. Uh, Maria seems to be still has a lingering uh, ankle thing. Um, Schoenfeld has not shown any signs of coming back in the next several weeks. So, um, what do we think Minnesota's biggest need is? Is it going to be a new DP? So Chacon going back on loan, his, uh, he comes off the books as a, as a designated player. We can talk about that in a, in a little bit here. So we do have technically a DP spot open. Um, is it uh, Balotelli watch? Uh, is, <laughs> is, it, is it bringing in Gilfrey Sigurdsson uh, to shore up that midfield? Uh, what do you think? What's, what's our biggest need? And what would you guys, you know, in a perfect world, what would you like to see?
2: I think our biggest need right this second, is it striker? Um, I've been really impressed with with the, the players that the front office has brought in to shore up the defense. Debasi looks, for all the world, like a really good player. Um, Gasper and Metnair, yes, they look very tired. They need time off that they're not getting. Um, so maybe some squad rotation there. But th- there are pieces that can step in there, Raheem Edwards and Hassani Dotson, respectively. So to me, it's up top. Um, you know, with the game against Dallas – I think we saw that Mason Toy really can run the line with his offense. So I don't necessarily see that we need to bring in a DP attacker, but at the same time, what is Mason Toy's future with this team? You know, are, they, are they willing to, to run him out there and, and give him the first team reps he needs to show whether he's capable of being a first division striker? Or are they gonna try to band aid the fix In which case, yes, use the DP slot. And even if Chacon's doesn't open up, uh, we found out, I think, uh, via one of the press pools that uh, Young Grigouch can be bought down to a TAM player. So there's a DP slot open if they need it. And I would rather have United stop trying to get lucky with Striker Roulette. Like, if they're not going to give Toy the reps, it's, it's not Balotelli. Can you imagine? Like Balotelli in a That would be
0: so fucking awesome. It would be completely
2: incredible. I would demand a documentary be made. They both have to wear cameras just 24-7 because when it ends with pistols at center field at dawn in Allianz. I want, I want the footage of that. Those two guys can't, can't coexist. That's never going to
0: happen. Adrian, he's going to be a Sharker whisperer. The, the one guy that, that no one can get to the, the striker that's got probably the most talent that no one can fucking get to is Balotelli. If if we brought in Balotelli and he got, running got Balotelli to score the equivalent of, of 25 goals in MLS. I, I, I'll fucking, I'll, 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 I'll end the podcast. I'll be like, I will admit that he's a circular whisperer and I will end the fucking podcast the second he does that. Um, that's my, that's the way to use. So if you're listening to this minister United uh, personnel person, you want us to stop talking shit about agent. Heath, sign Mario Bellatelli, have him score 20 goals. And we'll be done. I'll fucking end it.
2: Well, and like huh. in, in a more serious note, there are, there are a ton of aging strikers in Europe and MLS has clearly become a destination. They want to come because we've seen, we've seen aging defenders not play well here. The aging strikers can still score. Gonzalo Higuain just signed with Inter Miami. There's a bunch of guys, sort of his his level. Uh, uh, so uh, Gretchen and I were at a keepsake on Sunday before the game, and the the conversation turned to Jamie Vardy. Jamie Vardy's eventual arrival in MLS is completely. 100% locked in. This dude is absolutely coming to MLS. He's going to score 40 goals, and he's going to be in the national Enquirer literally every day.
0: He's <laughs> awesome.
2: Also it's going to start awesome. a racist incident in whatever city he lands in. And I, for one, am just really excited for Jamie Vardy in MLS, uh, the I'm, most locked-on, bolted-down thing I've ever predicted on this podcast.
0: I'm, I'm so ready for Rebecca Vardy to be in, like, New York City or someplace like that, man.
2: Oh, yeah, put them yeah, on NYCFC, a team that already has, like, a Proud Boy fan group and, uh, and, and is in the, the tabloid capital of the world even more so than London. But, I mean, look, there is talent out there, and I don't want to pick the wound of Minnesota doesn't have a U23. They don't have an academy set up. This is a team that is, is not just built to win now, but is going to consistently be built to win now until they have to build for the future. So right now it's great that Gasper and DSC and Dotson are are aging up into the team. That's going to be, that's not going to be the norm. That's going to be the aberration. So lean into that and, and go get me a striker for the next two years. That's going to bang in 20 goals and be generally immobile. Like if that's, if that's what this team is going to be, then let's, Let's stop trying to be too many things. I mean, I guess the other thing to consider here is we've got Reynoso for, what, the next five years?
0: I believe so, yeah.
2: So, look, he is outside of, of Opara and Alonso, two end-of-career players who are extremely talented, but with the injury issues we're seeing. Uh, brief side note, in a year and a half, we have the complete Ike Opara experience. Unbelievable defender. Absolute god in defense. And then an injury just makes him a complete non-option.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: that is that is the story of his career. And it's a shame because if, if he doesn't have that injury piece, he's probably the best defender. I mean, he's a U.S. men's national defender, bolted on, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So if you're going to build this team, you've got to build it around Reynoso. And if you're going to do that, figure out what type of striker he needs to succeed because he didn't have it at Boca, and then go out and get the best version of that player.
1: Yeah. MJ? We need a number six. Um, I think, assuming Amaria is healthy and Toy is healthy, that's plenty enough striker for Reynoso to service and for us to bang in a bunch of goals. Uh, now, granted, Amaria is not healthy, so I don't disagree that we could use more depth at, at striker right now. But not just looking for this season, but looking beyond this season we need to have an aussie replacement or an aussie understudy and my concern is we will wait till the last minute to well aussie can't play anymore and we bring in someone new aussie we can't afford salary cap or roster space for and so we have a new number six that aussie hasn't had time to mentor like there won't be an overlap um. there won't be a, a mentorship and we need a long-term number six and we should get one while ozzy's still on the field and that would be my number one priority
0: that's fair yeah those are good uh, you know the other ones are we we threw out there um after the miller news uh goalkeeper i think st Clair has done a pretty good job of, of solidifying that i'm not i'm not worried about goalkeeper really um it, you know if, if you can get someone decent for cheap and you can you know, put St. Clair out on loan again for another year. I think I'd be fine with that, but I, I you know, just with the the complete, you know, we're not, we're not sure what Almeria's situation is, and, and Schoenfeld's out, obviously. I tend to agree that in the short term, the striker is the most important issue. I think the, but Dan, I think your, your question is good. What is, is the plan for Mason Toy? Um, you know, is he gonna, you know, do they, does Minnesota think he is the long-term fix uh, or, or not? And, you know, he has to show too that he doesn't run as hot and cold as he has uh over the course of the last two years basically like he's either on and he's really hot or he's, he's you can't get any service and i don't put much on the um you know let the match last night he got he had absolutely zero service and part of that too is the strikers you sometimes you need to come back in and, and help create that for yourself but really that's not what we should be asking mason toy to do um that's not that's not really his job so uh, I think we, you couldn't go wrong with either of those. Hopefully, it's hopefully it's both. <laughs> let's put it that way. Um, yeah. All right. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about that Chicone news, uh, as well as a couple other United bits and pieces. And we'll talk a little bit about our upcoming match, which, again, is uh, against uh, our uh, old foe, Houston Dynamo. We're just running it back, guys. Running it back. So take a quick break, and we'll be right back.
1: You won't
0: that type of dude and i want to be who
2: you like me to, but we both know i
0: can't do nothing at all oh, yeah. uh, uh. all right and we're back uh we talked about um those two matches and as i mentioned a little bit ago like i decided to uh take a month off of drinking and i'm really glad i waited till today to start and uh um, was able to uh, trick myself through that uh, that match last night. So, hopefully, Minnesota United doesn't play like that or anytime over the course of the next month because it could be a really, a really rough go. Um, they start lashing out at people. So, uh, um, all right. So, we mentioned it uh, a, a minute ago. Uh, Chacon is reportedly going back on loan to Danubio, um, his club in Uruguay. Uh, this move is interesting. It, it's also frustrating. Again, we talk about Adrian Heathen and, and Frustration is the is the main thing that we think of how how and why it took so long for them to make a decision uh, regarding uh, Thomas Chicone and getting him some playing time. Um, it just it's so it's just it's weird and frustrating. You know, as I mentioned, he would come off the books as a DP. Um, so if we bring him back, and then theoretically, and Dan, correct me if I'm wrong here, but if we bring him back next year, bring him back from his loan. The new with the way the new salary. Uh, structures and everything are he would not count as a dp that correct
2: that's my my understanding so there's a a new a new salary category essentially which mls has had some version of a young dp before uh but this would be with completely outside of the dp structure so he a young i think he's just considered a young player or something like that but 22 first contract with the team um so yeah they would they would have another dp slot open so, and I, that's my, that's my hunch with what is happening here. I think this is somewhat of an admission that he needs more playing time than the team can get him. Uh, to me, this says that the team is very concerned with making the playoffs this year, which that's a, I disagree with that That should be a focus, but that's whatever. That's my opinion versus theirs. There's not one right answer at all. Um, but I think getting him down to Danubio gets him back in a place he's comfortable where he's been successful. It gets him more minutes and it allows the team to mess around with their books a little bit.
0: Yeah, um, so good for him. Um, gets to go home. Gets to hopefully get some playing time. It's it'll be interesting to see what his future is with Minnesota. Um, this is not a great look for both the team um, or for him. The team specifically. If, if you are a young, um, potentially you know, game-changing talent from South America, you're going to look at what they did to Thomas Chacon and. And if you're, you know, 17, 18 years old, you, you gonna I mean, you, I would definitely have qualms about signing a contract with Minnesota United. Um, if, you know, we'll see what happens with Bruno. So, um, hopefully, Bruno is obviously older, he's more experienced. Um, it, it'll be, it's different, it's a different, uh, it's a totally different thing. But I'm still, as someone who, um, if I was, a, you know, young South American kid, I would, I would definitely think, think twice about uh, signing a deal with Minnesota United. Um, so we'll see. Hopefully, he does. Hopefully, they do right by him, and hopefully, this. All turns out well. He comes back next year as a more seasoned, a more seasoned player, and someone who can slide into Minnesota starting eleven right away.
1: Dan Uh, and David, you both have pointed this out before that this situation could have been very, very different had we still had the relationship with Ford Madison or the Pittsburgh Riverhounds or some USL affiliate where he could get minutes on a regular basis. Um, You know, the guy needs time to play and if you want him to leapfrog, you know, not necessarily lewd, but like a Molino and a Edwards, you know, he's not giving him a place to play doesn't give him a chance to develop, to even have a shot at, at leapfrogging either of those two guys.
2: Yeah, it, it, it's a very good point. And, and I think the lack of a, a fixed affiliate is a huge problem. Chacon's an interesting case. So he comes up at 17, He leaves Uruguay to come to Minnesota. Um, That's obviously culture shock, but there's, you know, Spanish speaking players on the team. Yes. He's by far the youngest, but there at the time there at least was an Academy infrastructure. So there was at least some acknowledgement of, of youth development. If you send a guy like that to, honestly, it doesn't even matter. Madison, Pittsburgh, El Paso, like, you're really leaning on that club to have the infrastructure where a 17-year-old kid doesn't just sit in his apartment and wait for practice. Because and, and we've seen this happen before with extremely talented young kids. and And look, at 17, you are still a kid. If you don't take care of the whole player and make sure that they're developing as a human being in addition to their skills on the field you eventually do lose that player and and I wonder if that's part of it I wonder if I I, look for a player of Chacon's talent I find it completely impossible to believe that there wasn't someone willing to take him on loan Uh, Vegas look Madison's always down for something interesting and, and Chacon certainly qualifies there but I wonder if the team looked at their infrastructure and their ability to really take care of a 17 year old from South America and went Yeah, this is not going to end well. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I picture, I picture being 17 and moving to, I don't know, Croatia. And then, okay, so I'm in, I'm in one of the major towns. This isn't, this is scary. It's exciting. And then all of a sudden they transfer you into the farm. You don't speak the language super well. You don't know anyone. And I, I can picture at least on, for myself, I can picture that being a huge negative, even if I did progress nominally on the soccer field.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the, the point is that they, they clearly – either they didn't have a plan for him, period, or they had a plan and something failed and the plan was not able to um, come to fruition. I tend to believe that it's the latter, not the former, because if it was the – yeah, it was the former – not the latter that they didn't have a plan because they had a plan and it failed, you would think they would, they would be saying something like, Oh, Hey, we, we, we were, we were planning on doing this. We had this thing, it, you know, couldn't work out. Maybe there's reasons why they can't say anything uh, out loud, but just, you know, the complete lack of usage of, of Thomas Dracon is, is frustrating and, and quite frankly, very damning of, of, of the team and, and their, like I said, their commitment ability. So I really hope it works out for Thomas Jacone. We've seen um, how good he can be. He's shown us flashes of of being really talented. Like he is super young, so um, he needs he needs to get playing time. He needs to get minutes. Um, so hopefully, you know, he works out and he comes back to Minnesota. Uh, all right. So the other thing, uh, sort of bigger bigger news. Uh, two two parts here. Uh, phase two, part one. Uh, it's like uh, the the last Harry Potter will be broken into several parts. Um, Play two part one schedule was released. Um, They are three games: uh, two on the road uh, and then one at home. We play. We go down to Houston again for some fucking reason on Saturday the 19th at 7 p.m. Uh, Then travel to Columbus to pick on the crew on the 23rd, which is a Wednesday at 6:30, and then um, Sunday September 27th we're back at home against RSL for some fucking reason again. Why they didn't just swap those Houston and Dynamo games to make them, you know, home to Houston and away to RSL? I have no fucking idea. It's MLS, so they said they were they were, there was no plan to have sort of interconference matches, and of course we're playing a team from the other conference in this set of games. And if for some reason, it's not fucking Chicago. I don't know. I just don't under I don't understand MLS sometimes. Um, granted, we couldn't go to games anyways, but it's just it's we played I believe after. After we play these set of games, we'll have played 16 games uh, in MLS that count in the group standings. We'll play the same like nine of those games have been against again, against the same opponents, right? We played nine teams multiple times uh, in our 16 matches, which is uh, uh, you know not great um, for a league that has you know 20 what 20 teams in it right now. Uh, anyways, oh, uh, do you guys have any thoughts on the on the phase two part one schedule?
1: It's clearly really sl- like the to be honest, the sort of trying to make mini groups and evaluating um, some sort of like table within a small pod geographically. I'm fine with that. We're in COVID times, it makes sense. I'm with you, David. I really am pissed off that we're not making Houston after playing down in Texas play up here in, in our cold weather. If if we're going to go to columbus on september 23rd not a you know warm weather mecca uh we certainly can uh host houston up here on september 19th and then go out to real salt lake because we haven't played there yet it that home and away bit makes no sense to me uh i I wish there weren't bigger fish to fry on the mls but uh, alas, uh, for the sake of our listeners, I'll end the rant there.
2: I think this is clearly a, a stopgap measure. I think the fact that we got this schedule, like, what, two days before the end of Phase 1? Three days before the end of Phase 1? They were clearly trying to get something else done that was a little more extensive, and it fell through. And they were like, ah, crap, here's three games to get you to the end of September. Uh, so... To me, this is clearly just a stopgap solution, and they, they did what they had to. Um, yeah, I think there's a million ways to make it better. My big frustration with this right now is that Minnesota United will have played Sporting Kansas City, top of the West, three times, and for purposes of the standings, now top of the East once, although they've, they've technically played them twice. And that's frustrating, uh, given how compact the West is. You know, in most seasons it doesn't matter. Everybody plays everybody and okay. Yeah. Your Eastern conference games are maybe a little more difficult, a little easier, whatever, because these groups are so different. You're really going to end up with almost needing like a strength of schedule qualifier to go into the playoffs. Cause United is clearly going to earn their way in. Should they make it in a way that somebody like, I don't know, even Houston to a, to a certain extent just kind of hasn't had to. So that's, that's my frustration. I don't know. It, Going into this, I really believed there was going to be a plan, and all this talk of like, well, does this season have an asterisk? Can you take a title seriously? Was really problematizing something that wasn't going to be an issue. But if they can't get a decent schedule and if they can't figure out the strength of schedule piece, it really does start to look like an asterisk season to me.
0: Yeah. I believe uh, I can't remember who put it out, but there's a tweet that's basically the strength of schedule, the average place for the teams that Minnesota United has been playing. Is 5.7. Um, so, like, you know, basically, they're, it's, it's by far the, the toughest schedule that anyone has played um, in MLS this year. So, point is duly noted, Dan. Uh, to that second part, uh, p- p- phase two, part one, and United announced obviously that they were not going to have fans um, for this, at least for this go around. Um, hoping that that stays the case, obviously. Um, you know, I've talked to some people. Uh, in the know, who seem to think that if they can get to 2,500 uh, people in Allianz Field, that that makes it that is basically the the break-even point for for what they would need to bring in for in terms of uh, staff and and costs and things like that to turn the lights on. Um, so if they can get to 2,500 people, I think there's a very real possibility that Minnesota might open up. Um, again, I'm you know our our majority owner is a doctor. Um, he, I hope, is smarter than that, um, I, and, you know, I think that we're not going to get anywhere near a point, at least in 2020 here, where we're going to have more than, you know, say, 2,500 people, but um, so I, I'm hoping that they'll be smart and, and will not open up. So uh, as part of that, though, they announced a um, yesterday a fan cutout program, so like you've seen in some of the Premier Leagues. Um, uh, or in their sorry, league one uh, or sorry, championship over the EPL Bundesliga. has done a few of them. There's been happening all over the world. Uh, you can get a uh, for 60 bucks, which is apparently discounted for season ticket holders. If you are a season ticket holder or a member of the preserve, which is the, the wait list, um, you can get a, a cutout uh, placed in the stadium. Uh, you get to keep the cutout at the end of the year as you come pick it up. So I'm trying to decide, I'm trying to decide what, uh, what I should get uh, for my cutout. Do you guys have any thoughts uh, on that? Are you going to spend the 60 bucks to get uh, to get your picture in the lower bowl of Allianz?
2: So I hadn't really thought about it. Uh, the season ticket price is $45. Bucks. Uh, but I got to tell you, if they're going to let us keep it at the end of the year, I'm more interested in doing it, but not of me. Like, I was going to get, like, a terrifying picture of me screaming or something like that. I don't want that. I don't want that in my house like I would inevitably like sleepwalk into it and think I was being robbed or something like that. So this does increase the likelihood that I'll purchase it, but it's it, like, I, I'll do like, uh, uh, you know, Johan Venegas or Bertrand de Wundi or like <laughs> Giuliano <Vicincini> or something <laughs> like
0: that. Yes. Yes, please. I just want to get like, a, you know, like a bunch of, uh, Miguel Ibarra's. That'd be
1: hilarious. Um, MJ, are you is this something you're interested in doing? Uh, I do not have the disposable income to to even buy a Minneapolis City hoodie right now, which would probably be the next soccer thing that I spend money on. So uh, yeah, no, I, I I'm not gonna spend money on it. However, reading the the details about it on Minnesota United's website, I love their very thorough photo submission guide because uh, not everyone is knows the basics of taking a good photo so they have some things about lighting you know um they have some things about tilting your glasses so there's not glare or turn the angle of your head um they have you know advice on make sure to take it the vertical away from the waist up and they just have a lot of good detailed you know uh things to help make your picture better so i think that's really great i also really like or laugh at that they have at the very bottom. When choosing an outfit, avoid commercial advertisements, including slogans, websites and phone numbers. Uh, avoid social media handles and hashtags.
0: Uh, oh, shit. Well, or negative
1: be. references to any sports teams. Uh, names of any players or Minnesota United staff. Oh, <laughs> man. I wanted to get my Dirty Out shirt. Fuck. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, and Northern little color candidates obviously, and third-party logos slash branding. So I'm guessing if you show your, yourself in, in your Nike kit for Portugal, they can just reject that if they want to be dicks about it. Um, the the small print, MNUFC reserves the right at its sole discretion to refuse to create and or display any submissions. And then there's other details about that. But of course, they have to put that in there. Um, it's just. Uh, uh you know they go into examples of obscene, lewd, explicit, discriminatory derogatory, violent, offensive, so on. Um but yeah. Uh All right. it's an entertaining read.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap myself in my Antifa, uh my Antifa army flag and uh we'll see what they say. Um yeah, do it. Yeah, I as as someone who also is, is still out of work. I, I just don't think I have the money. So if you want to sponsor MJ and I and you listen to the podcast hit me up uh we'll 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 gladly take your 45 and and put it to good use so um yeah <laughs> all right uh so that's uh that's the other united news um mj why don't you uh better know a loon uh or once a loon sorry this is the once a loon segment uh we have a, a fun one um
1: Lucie gonzalez why don't you tell us a little bit about Luci gonzalez so lucy gonzalez is currently the manager of FC Dallas, but before that, uh, you know, he was born in Holly, uh, Florida. Went to Southern Methodist University, and then got his first pro start in 2002 with the San Jose Earthquakes. Uh, then he went to Sweden, played for Bodens. Then went to Peru and played for uh, Sporting Cristal. Shout out to Rodrigo, um, and then he spent. Two seasons in Colorado, one Colorado Rapids, one season at Miami FC, and then surprisingly ends his career with one year in 2008 with the Minnesota Thunder. So uh, that makes him once a loon, technically once a Thunder. And uh, he's basically been in the FC Dallas uh, Academy. He was the director of their academy for seven seasons before he ends up taking the, the FC Dallas head, head
0: coaching job. Yeah, that was vacated by Oscar Pereja. So, um, yeah, so I don't really, I don't really remember Luci Gonzalez, of uh, Thunder. I did hear a, a great story. I'm not sure if I've told on the podcast before, but I was chatting with Wes Birdine, uh, and he, he mentioned a story about a unnamed, uh, or will not be discussed, uh, Minnesota Loons player or Minnesota Thunder player, um, who mentioned, uh, Lucie Gonzalez in 2008 there's basically the only two people wearing skinny jeans in uh, Minnesota in 2008 were Luchy Gonzalez and Prince. Uh, so we've seen that Luchy Gonzalez is, is a very stylish and a, a very stylish man. Also, is a goddamn smoke show. Um, and he wore he wore the the I uh, the the in the match right after Chadwick Boseman had passed away. Um, last the, on Wednesday, he when it's here, it was a little, little chillier out, so it looks like he picked up a like a um, uh, cardigan from Target. <laughs>
1: 20 twenty dollar cardigan from Target. Yeah, twenty dollar.
0: Uh, uh, yeah, whatever the the Target uh, Target brand of cardigan. I was not a fan of it. I was shouted down by the internet apparently because everybody apparently thought it was a god. It was fucking amazing. I, I if it was a zip, I would have appreciated it more. But uh, it's still it was he's he's a stylish stylish man. We're and I'm glad to have him in MLS as a as a coach. So the
1: the the black and white wool of the of, of the sweater went perfectly with his salt and pepper hair It and, it did. and that's you know really what it, it kind of the hair kind of ties out together
0: it did it did all right uh madison lost two nothing to greenville on sunday uh that ended a a pretty good win streak for them they there was actually a really great article i can't remember where it was about the vang brothers um michael vang and his uh, older brother brian who's playing for uh and a NISA team up in Michigan, I believe. Um, again, we'd love to see that guy get a shot with an MLS team next year. And then uh, the Madison also announced that their match versus North Texas SC, which was originally scheduled for August 30th, was, was canceled or was postponed um, due to the, uh, um, all of the social unrest that was happening um, in, in Wisconsin and across the United States. Um, has been rescheduled for Wednesday, October twenty-first at seven PM. So, a little bit of uh, a little bit of Madison news. Um, MJ, we have a, a few Minneapolis. City, oh, I, oh, speaking of, I'm actually going to a Minneapolis city game on Wednesday. I'm um, going out to Blaine to uh, to check out the team, uh, check out what their socially distant uh, situation is up there. I think they have a one or two more matches. Uh, they're doing their their sort of like seven v seven round round robin um, inter squad tournament kind of thing. So. Apparently, I'm doing pretty well in their fantasy league, which is basically amounts to just me guessing because I don't know the about any of the players right now. Um, but yeah, uh, so that should be really fun. I'll, I'll let everybody know about it uh, next week. So, uh, you have a couple other things for Minneapolis City, MJ?
1: They're opening registration for their futures program. So, they're looking to recruit, you know, incoming high school students, obviously, to that just want to. Be a part of their program and, and develop their soccer skills. So good luck, with them to that, on that. You can, if you have a high school student or know of a high school student that uh, should be a part of their futures uh, program, you can find them on Twitter at Mpls City SD. Um, they have uh, Anne Kitten's uh, Sarah Schreier that has merch for them tweeted out a really cute button that says, "quote They have more ball kids than we have players." Unquote which if you've ever been to a Minneapolis City game, sometimes you get you get the sense that we do have more ball kids than our opponents have players. So that, that was really funny. Uh, their financial review is coming up, and so they're asking for people to send in questions. Uh, they've been very, very transparent about their, their finances and uh, that they don't pay their interns, nor their players, nor their head coach, um, nor anybody else on their staff. So. Uh, the, but they do have money that comes in from sponsorships and they, and you can see how they spend that and where where that money goes. So they're asking to send in questions. One person then said, how, how many ball boys do you have? <laughs> that was their only financial review question. Uh, and of course, Minneapolis c- city came out with some cheeky answer, like uh, not more than 14 or something like that. Hmm. All right. All right. Uh, okay. Let's talk about Houston. Um,
0: again, I, we, like last week, we've seen these guys uh, very recently. Uh, I don't think we need to spend a ton of time talking about.
1: Don't they play have a, a, a Quin some some Quintero type of player?
0: Some Somebody like that. Yeah. yeah okay. uh, there was actually a story just came out. Uh, Houston is uh, uh, the owner is looking to sell and they're looking at possibly doing a, a complete rebrand Uh, including investigating their colors, which I think um, would be uh, not great because I really actually, I think that orange that they have is actually um, fantastic. And is one of the only teams that actually, I mean, the only team really that uses orange as their primary color. Um, So they definitely pop when they're on the the pitch. But uh, there's a story in the athletic uh, earlier this week about um, Houston potentially wanting to do a complete rebrand. Hopefully, it's a lot less like the fire, the Chicago Fire rebrand, and more like uh, the Sporting Kansas City rebrand when they uh, went from becoming the Wizards to uh, Sporting KC. So, we'll wait and see. We'll we'll see if uh, Houston, Houston gets the rebrand. What do you want to say about Houston, Um, Dan? I'll start with you.
2: You know, uh, we can talk about the players they'll have on the pitch, but perhaps one of the most interesting ones will be who isn't there. Uh, after years of being rumored to head to Europe, Albert Elise appears to have finally gotten his move. Uh, he'll, uh, he won't quite be sharing the same flight with Reggie Cannon, but he will be arriving at the same practice facility as both is closing in on a deal. Um, Houston obviously has attackers in spades, so this doesn't demonstrably weaken the team, but Tab Ramos has been pretty aggressive about subbing players in and out. So it'll be interesting to see how he does, whether he continues to do that, uh, when he doesn't have perhaps his best single best attacker. Um, so interesting to see, I think as we saw against when they played United, um, even some of their lesser known attackers, uh, Nico Hansen and Ariel Lassiter are plenty effective. So it's not that they're lacking in any talent. Um, Minnesota needs to, to, to hit at these guys. They, we proved last time out, they can't just sit back and try to counterattack. Um, you know, get Reynoso the ball. Let him spray it around, but put real pressure on the Houston defense. Do not let the ball consistently sit in Minnesota's third.
1: Similar yeah. to what you said about Sporting Kansas City, where you know if they play a four-three-three, Sporting Kansas City's their outside uh, midfield are very very weak. You know, they have Memo Rodriguez in, in the middle of their of their center attack who's a boss, and he just consumes up all these balls and intercepts all these passes and plays amazing passes. But to his left and to his right aren't strong pieces. And then, as I mentioned before, their center backs, Tuna and Figueroa, aren't good. So we we need to attack those areas.
0: Yeah, you know, speaking of being stubborn, uh, Tab is also quite stubborn except for um he actually instead of he, he just played, he plays the same system and he just plugs his guys in um and they've been you know capable enough uh to to do well so um I'll be it to see do we um what do you, what do you guys have any predictions for uh for the match
2: this will be the longest time United's head had off in a couple of weeks. So that I think will be hugely beneficial. Um, a little bit like the Dallas game. The Dallas first half was so bad, it was hard to picture the team being successful, even though we know that they can be. That's how bad the game against Sporting Kansas City was. So yeah. I'm going to predict Houston wins this game, because I, honestly, I think their attack is, is that good. But mostly, I'm just having trouble picturing this team beating a first-choice lineup.
1: Yeah, MJ? I say with a lot of people rested and well-rested with the week-long break, that Reynoso and Toy are able to somehow tear up, uh, strewn on Figueroa. If we can get the ball into that area, uh, they could be really dangerous um, and make life uh, a lot more interesting for Marco Maric than we made for him the last time we played them. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I really hope
0: we, you know, we didn't really have, you know, below when we played uh, Houston the last time. Um, we we'll have met near back. So I, I'm expecting we'll see this, the four, two, three, one, uh, with toy up top. Um, nothing, uh, nothing else changes. And with, you know, I, I don't like what we did against Houston. And, um, I think we actually, I really hope that we have, uh, a much better showing. I, I think it's, I think it's going to be a high scoring game. I think it's going to be, you know, like a two, two or three, three draw. I think there'll be a lot of goals, a lot of goals in this one. Um, especially I think Ramirez is, is desperate, desperate to score against, against Minnesota. Um, especially after Darwin got his uh, last match. I think Christian is going to be de- destined to to shooting early and shooting often against Minnesota.
1: We saw uh, Greg Rajen Singh have some amazing saves on Christian Ramirez last time they played. I hope Payne St. Clair gets gets a start. I will be very interested to see how he handles uh, a team that that attacks fluidly and, and passes the ball as well as they do on 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 Houston.
0: Yes, but again, without as Dan mentioned, without uh, Alberto Aliz, which is he was a uh, absolutely killer against Minnesota uh, last time they played. So um, it'd be nice to not have him in the lineup. Uh, all right, uh, do you guys want – I mean, I, I left it Europe in here. Do you guys want to talk about your, your team's wins uh, over the weekend?
2: Arsenal played Fulham and beat them comprehensively, which they should have, uh, but given the fact that Arsenal only took seven points off of the bottom six in away games last year, three points at Fulham is a really nice way to start this
0: season. <laughs> That's really <laughs> only seven points off the bottom six?
2: I believe so. And I do know oh. that th- the 3-0 win that they had was Arsenal's largest away win since the last time they beat Fulham at Fulham in 2018.
0: Which was also 3-0, right? <laughs> yeah, it
2: was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, uh, MJ, you, got, you I, watched, I watched your boys play uh, against Everton – or against uh, Spurs uh, uh, yesterday morning.
1: That was a fun game. So, you, know, uh, you know, Everton did not play a uh, cupcake – Newly promoted side. I just want to mention that uh, they they played uh, a team called Tottenham Hotspur, that that you know finished finished sixth last year. Um, I I went in with very little expectations, but really wanting to see the new signings, um, uh, Alan from from Brazil at, at the defensive number six, uh, the the Corre on the wing and. Or the uh, curry at, at the attacking uh, center midfield spot, and uh, James Rodriguez, who they played on right wing, and they played great. Um, Richarlison missed, you know, three goals that he should have scored, but uh, you know, uh, on a really nice nice corner kick, uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin made a really nice header. So uh, Everton goes to Tottenham, steals three points away, one nil. We'll take it.
0: Yeah. Uh Liverpool um beat Leeds uh four to three. They needed every 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 ounce of that game. Um and uh you know I was saying I was telling I was telling a few folks this yesterday. Uh people, you know, asked if I was worried about Liverpool and, and all that and I was like, No, not really. Um there's a, there's a in my estimation there's about three teams. Oh there's there's about four teams that will like that will punch at Liverpool like Leeds did. Um and they're Man City, Arsenal, Chelsea, Manu, and like in Leeds, honestly. Um I'm not worried about pretty much the majority of uh EPL teams um punching at Liverpool the way that that Leeds did. Um I think it's a good wake-up call. I think it's gonna it's you know it's definitely something that they needed to have if they want to defend their title, but I, I'm again not not super worried about Leeds. In our Pick'em contest. Uh, the MJ, you and, and Dan are both tied at nine points. Um, I'm at six points. Obviously, we had Man City uh, and Man U did not play uh, over the weekend. They have one more week off before they have to start their EPL season. So, all right. Um, that's about it, guys. Unless you guys have anything else you want to uh,
1: you want to add. Uh, I, since we're on the topic of Europe, I just want to say that this is the, the this weekend marked the second fixture date for the the FAWSL. And if you're not watching uh, women's soccer in England right now, you're missing out. There are a ton of U.S. uh, women's players playing over there. Um, You have uh, Chelsea that picked up uh, Pernille Harder from Wolfsburg in Germany and Sam Kerr. So uh, there's just a lot of good, fun, attacking talent and, and good football being played over there. So...
0: Yep, they uh, they have a really their, their app is is significantly less clunky this year than it was last year, and uh, NBC has the uh, NBC Sports has the rights to some of their matches, so um, they're showing them on uh, NBCSN and and other things. Um, all right, cool. Well, that will about do it for us. Um, again, you can always uh, always find us online uh, at TechZeller, Zeller for me at D Wade uh, at MJ Matsui um bill's gonna be back in town i think on wednesday so hopefully we'll get bill on the podcast on monday um but you always go to patreon.com slash today, i know it helps support today's that you know or find us at tdikm on twitter so all right uh have a great week guys and we'll talk to you talk to you next week agreement now but we have to try and work
1: Yeah, uh, we, we do our thing, son. Long as you do yours, land here, become flea, con. Yeah, uh, we, we yeah. do our thing, son. Do the act we attract to, hope to reach one. Uh, we, yeah. we, we do our thing, do, yeah. do, uh, do it, We do our thing, son. Some will paint a piece, some will spray with a machine gun. It's mad work to be done. Uh, we, we, we do our uh, thing, uh, son. I, I, I I can't Yeah, I know we can't do nothing at all.